Hello, everyone. Good morning. We've got a couple quick announcements for you today before we hear Jason's sermon. The first is, is if you're new, obviously, we would love to connect with you. Since we're not in person anymore, we can't see your beautiful face. Go ahead and leave a little comment in the comment section, or you can visit our website, Connect Form, and tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself. We'd love to get to know you. Next up, another great way to get to know about us and what we're doing here is through our Roots class. So our Roots class starts on January 26th, so very soon, just in a couple of days. And the Roots class is our way for you to learn more about our values, our practices, what we kind of believe here, and how we operate as a church. So this is going to be a one-hour session on Zoom for three Wednesdays in a row starting this Wednesday, and you can head on over to our calendar to find out more about that. Next is our call and response, which is happening on January 27th. So this is our week, our monthly scripture study where we dialogue about scripture in a group setting. So it's not about getting all the right answers. It's more about communing with each other, talking about the scriptures in a group. So that starts again this Thursday. You can head on over to the website again for more on that. And lastly, our next monthly book club, which happens every first Thursday, is on February 3rd at 6.30 p.m. And this month we're studying Small is Beautiful, Economics as If People Mattered. So this is a great book. It was named uh, the 100 most influential books since World War II. So that's pretty cool. And it's all about how we can think about economics differently so that we can build our economics around the needs of communities and not corporations. So for all of that, you can head on over to the website to RSVP and find out more. And lastly, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations from people just like you. So if you're able, if you can, we'd appreciate if you could leave us a gift today on the website. You can do that. You can set up monthly giving. Um, you can mail a check to us, whatever's easiest for you, if that's good for your budget in this time. <laughs> so thank you so much for the announcements. Hope these hit you well, and here's our sermon. Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you again online on YouTube and Facebook. I hope that you are staying safe and healthy and well wherever you are, at home or maybe uh, in a classroom or at work, whenever you're watching this, I know those of you who are watching right now live, of course, are probably at home, maybe drinking coffee on your couch, but a lot of folks will watch this later. So wherever you might be, we're really glad that you're able to join us online. Today, we're going to continue our series on wisdom. We have dedicated uh, the next several weeks to really digging into three of the core books of wisdom in the Hebrew Bible. And this month, we have dedicated entirely to the book of Proverbs. So we're going to jump back into Proverbs today. But before we do, I want to invite you as usual just to join with me, center your hearts and minds. Let's say a prayer together now. 
God, we thank you for today and for this opportunity for us to join together online on YouTube and Facebook for us to come to uh, the same space together of worship and prayer and reflection on scripture. We ask that even though we are not all in the same room, that you would join us together, that our hearts and minds would be knitted together by the common purpose of drawing closer to you, understanding your heart, and walking in accordance with your righteousness. We pray that you would help us to become people of wisdom in this world, that we would embody the goodness that is God, and that by doing so, we would be a witness to what is good and right and true in the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We can turn with me in your Bible, if you have it, to Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to pick it up there. If uh, you don't have uh, an actual Bible in front of you, you can just pull out your phone and Google book of Proverbs chapter 10 and pull up a ver- whatever version of the Bible you prefer there. We're going to start there in Proverbs chapter 10. I'm going to try to keep our sermon today a little bit on the brief side. I know sometimes I have a tendency to really get going and talk a lot. I've always been somebody who has a tendency to talk a lot. That's probably why I ended up as a preacher or a teacher early in my ministry. uh, People would put me in positions where I had the opportunity to speak. And sometimes I say I'm a professional speaker for a living. Back in the 90s, there was this Uh, There was this statistic that was running around that said that women on average in any given day speak about 20,000 words and men on average in any given day speak about 7,000 words. It's a terribly sexist statistic that actually proved to not be true. It was debunked 10 years later by an actual study. But I worked in a ski shop at the time up in the mountains in Utah, and my boss, Virginia, my manager, she loved that statistic, and she would often quote it to me, and she'd say, Honey, I think you're a little closer to the 20,000 words a day mark uh, because I had a tendency sometimes to just talk and talk and talk about whatever it was that I was learning about. I was excited about gaining new knowledge in particular in my faith. And so I sometimes I know would process that ad nauseum to people around me. One of the elders in our church at that time, one of my mentors at that time, used to like to say to me, said, you know, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> that was his way, I think, of telling me to shut up a little bit more often. And so uh, earlier in my life, I learned that it was a good idea sometimes to be quiet and listen more often than I spoke. That's actually a really great example of like conventional wisdom or what we might say today is common sense. And the power of common sense is that it tends to appeal to that sense of discernment in us that says, yes, that sounds right. That sounds true. And so when you hear sort of sexist statistics even about how many words women speak versus how many words men speak, the power of that is that it can sometimes resonate with us in ways that confirms our suspicions about the world. And that's very much what Proverbs is. Last week, in fact, I said to you that the book of Proverbs really represents sort of wisdom 101, that it's sort of introduction to wisdom, that it's conventional wisdom, 
And another way of thinking about conventional wisdom is that it's common sense. Well, if you look with me at Proverbs chapter 10, we enter into a kind of new section of the book of Proverbs here. And you'll notice right at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, the first words of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1, are the Proverbs of Solomon. This is actually something that appears in the Hebrew text. In fact, this marks a whole new collection of these wisdom sayings that we think of as the book of Proverbs. It turns out that the book of Proverbs isn't really a book. It's more like a collection or an anthology. There really are like three books in Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9, which is where we started our first two weeks, have these extended poems that use these vivid metaphors, like wisdom as a woman who calls out for those who desire to learn. We find that all the way through those first nine chapters are these extended poems that invite us sort of like an introduction into a life of wisdom. Well, here in chapter 10, verse 1, Proverbs takes a pretty radical turn. It moves away from these long-form poems, and instead what we find are verse-by-verse sayings, just very simple two-line sayings that teach us something about life. And that is pretty much what we find from Proverbs chapter 10 all the way through to almost the end of Proverbs 22. It's just a string of one-line poems that are meant to communicate essentially common sense wisdom to us. One of the reasons I love this about the book of Proverbs is if you've been around here at the Oceanside Sanctuary long enough, you know that this illustrates something that is true about the whole Bible. We oftentimes think about the Bible as a book, a book written by one person with one voice that communicates laws and commandments to us that we must obey. But one of the things that we really emphasize here is that the Bible is not one book written by one person. Instead, it is an anthology of a variety of ancient literature, and that it's really not written with one voice. It's written from multiple perspectives in multiple voices that are in dialogue with each other. And the book of Proverbs is just like that too. So now we enter into what is essentially the second book of Proverbs. And the second book of Proverbs conveys all of these two-line poems that communicate wisdom about life. And we can see how they work right there at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 10. If you look with me, right after the title of this book, the Proverbs of Solomon, it jumps right into a familiar formula that we'll find throughout the middle portion of Proverbs. It says, a wise child makes a glad father, but a foolish child is a mother's grief. That's a very simple construction of one line that pits one notion against another. It's sort of a, an antithesis poem. So the first line is, a wise child makes a glad father. In other words, a child who acts with wisdom, a child who pursues a life that is good, makes their father happy, but a child that is foolish brings a mother grief. That sounds obvious, of course, but it illustrates sort of the formula of Proverbs, which is, one half of a saying said in a positive way, and then the second half said in a negative way. In this way, Proverbs uses an ancient poetic technique called parallelism. And in this case, antithetical parallelism to pit these two images 
in opposition to bring about a greater truth. And the greater truth here in verse 1 obviously is, it's better for children who are growing up to learn to be wise than it is for them to be foolish. There's something about a foolish life that will lead them down the wrong path. And this is the formula that we see all the way through the rest of Proverbs. In fact, it's essentially the formula that dominates chapters 10 all the way through 22. The idea here is that Proverbs uses a kind of rhyme, but not a rhyming of words. It's rather a rhyming of ideas in order to teach us memorable lessons. We see this in the very next verse, verse 2. Chapter 10, verse 2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, this gets to be a little bit more complicated than the previous line. It teaches us something that's really rich if we're willing to dig into this. We see in the first line that treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. So there's this idea of money and profit and gain. But if you pursue money and profit and gain by wickedness or by uh, bad deeds, then that essentially is bad for you. And in the second line, we see the poem amplify this notion. It says, but righteousness delivers from death. And what's interesting about this is if you look at the parallelism, you see that righteousness is paralleled to treasure. So according to Proverbs, there are sort of two ways to live our lives. We can either pursue profit, pursue treasure, pursue monetary gain, or it says we can pursue that which is truly profitable to us, and that is righteousness. That is a life of goodness, a life that is in harmony with all that is good and right and true. And that kind of life delivers us from death. There's also this really powerful undertone in this particular proverb that to live a life of sort of unfettered greed or capitalism might actually deliver us into death. There's a lot there to unpack. This one little powerful two-verse poem really raises a lot of questions. Is it okay for us to be people who pursue some kind of financial gain? How can we be people who pursue profit or gain in our lives and not sacrifice our lives in the midst of it? How is it that goodness really is like a treasure to us, providing us with a kind of security that delivers us from harm and death? Those are all questions that if we're willing to ask them and dig into them, produce a life of wisdom for us. This is exactly how Proverbs works. And these chapters right in the middle of the book contain some of the most familiar Proverbs that you have heard. For example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You've probably heard some version of that proverb before, especially in the phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. That's where this proverb comes from. How is it true that love, when we put other people's needs ahead of our own selfish desires, how is it true that that covers offense? Is that true? When is that not true? And if we ask that question and dig a little bit deeper, what can we learn about our lives? 
There are so many of these familiar Proverbs in these chapters because these chapters contain so many common sense, memorable sayings about life. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. In other words, living our lives righteously, treating people honestly and fairly is what makes God happy and pleased. There is a sense of justice at the heart of who God is. Chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, a nation falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Not only is justice at the heart of God, but the recognition that we oftentimes don't really know what is true or good or right on our own drives us to be people who seek wise counsel. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but those who hate to be rebuked are stupid. I love that one because who wants to be rebuked? Who loves to be corrected? There's almost nothing worse than putting yourself out there, expressing your opinion and being corrected by others because it makes us aware that we by ourselves cannot always discern what's true. It hurts our ego to be rebuked and corrected, but Proverbs teaches us that those who are wise learn to love being corrected and love being rebuked because that's where they find the truth. Proverbs 13, 24 in that same vein, says those who spare the rod hate their children, but those who love them are diligent to discipline them. This is, of course, that famously abused passage. Whoever spoils or spares the rod spoils the child. A passage that is often used to say that you should be using corporal punishment on your children. But of course, that's not what this proverb means. The rod here refers to the shepherd's staff that's used to guide sheep and protect them, not beat them. And in its heart, as a passage, it still contains this truth that children need to be guided. They need to be shown the right way to live their lives. Otherwise, they will end up in destruction. Reflecting on that, Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a person, but it is the way to death. Again and again, this is what Proverbs hammers home to us. That we, left to our own devices, will often choose a way of life that is painful, unhealthy, toxic, and destructive, not just to ourselves, but even to others. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says something that I think is related to that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Another familiar saying, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and we often forget the second half of that poem, which is when our desires are fulfilled, it becomes a source of life to us. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again and again, this is what we find in this book. We find these passages that reveal to us that there is something about life that appears to be slightly hidden. 
that if we are not careful, if we don't listen to the counsel of those who are good and right and true, if we don't attend to those who are wise, who have gone before us, who know something about life that we are missing, then we are likely to fall into destruction. Proverbs 16, verse 18, another proverb that you've heard before, says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. All of these passages, they all contain this idea. We are people who need to learn wisdom in order to live lives that are good. I love Proverbs 17, verse 28, and this will sound familiar to you even today. 17:28 says, even fools who keep silent are considered wise. When they close their lips, they are deemed intelligent. I'm not sure if that's where my friend got his saying, but it sounds a lot like that. That wise people, smart people, people who desire to be good and right and true, learn to be silent long enough to gain what is true from others around them. This is what we find throughout these chapters. All of these like one line sayings that really sort of reveal something about life that isn't easily understood at first glance. And that essentially tells us that wisdom is all about recognizing the patterns of life that we don't always recognize at first glance. That's essentially what wisdom is, or at least wisdom in Proverbs is the recognition of the patterns in life that if we follow them, either lead to goodness and truth and life and and an ability to flourish and thrive, or those patterns in life that if we follow them, they lead to death and destruction and hurt and ruin. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing those patterns. And the hard thing about wisdom is we don't often recognize the patterns of life until we have lived life. Until we have gone out there and made mistakes and made those mistakes again and again and again. And finally, we look back and we recognize, oh, if I keep doing this, then I'm going to keep getting what I've always gotten. And wisdom recognizes that after a period of time that when we act a certain way consistently, we get a certain outcome. But when we act another way consistently, we get a different outcome. So wisdom isn't so much information as it is an embodied existence in a pattern of life that leads to love and life and flourishing. And that's why we often say that those who are older than us are wiser than us because they have lived those mistakes, they have lived those successes, and they can reach back and tell us how we can avoid those mistakes. That's how we learn to be wise when we're younger. That's why we have books like Proverbs. Because when we read through these chapters and we see the same ideas repeated again and again and again, and we read them again and again and again, and we reflect on them again and again and again, it's a little bit like getting a head start on living our lives. It's a little bit like rehearsing mistakes before we make them or rehearsing successes before we make them. It's why this book begins with an admonition to children to listen to their parents because children have the opportunity, whether they're actual children or just emotionally immature adults, they have the opportunity to read through these passages 
and gain something in their younger years that they wouldn't have otherwise. That's how these work. If you read through these chapters, you'll see that a lot of these ideas are repeated over and over and over again. And a lot of these ideas just are common sense. If you want to eat, if you want to be able to pay your rent, if you want to succeed in life, it's a good idea that you get up in the morning and go to work and not stay in bed. That is a common sense notion that you find throughout the book of Proverbs. If you want to do well in life, if you want to enjoy a long life and success, it's probably a good idea that you not lie and cheat and steal from your neighbors. Because eventually, they will find out and they will shun you. And then you'll be cut off from sources of life. If you want to live well, then it's a good idea to listen to the advice of those who have gone before you and lived well. These ideas make perfect sense. And that's exactly what we find throughout these chapters. We desperately, I think, desperately need common sense in our lives. It's easy to poke holes in common sense because we can always think of exceptions to those rules. It's easy to make fun of conventional wisdom because we all we have to do is look around at life and see that there are people who do lie and cheat and steal their way to riches and never seem to pay for it. But those exceptions just prove the rule that for the most part, if you live your life according to the common sense conventional wisdom found in these pages, that you will probably do okay. And we need that in this world. We need a recognition that there is a way to live our lives that is generally, for the most part, good. And we can find that in these words and in these passages. I found that for me in my life, one of the most helpful ways that I can learn to live into wisdom, one of the most helpful ways that I can uptake the wisdom in these passages is I will read through these chapters one at a time. So I'll take some time in my life, set it aside, maybe 30 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. And I'll just read one chapter from Proverbs. And when you read one chapter of Proverbs, you're typically reading about 25 or 30 two-line poems that all are communicating some sense of wisdom to you. And as I read through that chapter, I'll do it in a kind of meditative way. Remember, these are poems. They're not laws. They're not commandments. These are poems that are meant to work their way into your heart through their, their clever uses of memorable images and, and phrases that rhyme conceptually together and their, their warnings that try to keep you from walking into a place of destruction. As you read through these chapters, one thing that I have done that's been helpful is I will pay attention to the one proverb, the one verse, the one poem that really seems to jump out at me, the one that really seems to speak to my heart for some reason. And then after I've read through the chapter, I'll go back to that one poem that really seemed to speak to me, and I'll highlight it or I'll bracket it, I'll write in my Bible with my pen, put a little star next to it, and I'll come back to it, and I'll read it over and over again. Just meditating on the words, just meditating on the images. 
What's the surprising thing that I find in this passage? And why is that speaking to me at this time in my life? What surprising goodness or truth is it revealing to me? I did that this week as I was preparing for today. And what I came across is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10. This two-line poem really just jumped off the page to me. And I want to share with you why, so that you can see how these Proverbs have been helpful in my life. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says this, The righteous know the needs of their animals. The righteous know the needs of their animals, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Now think about that. In in the middle of all of these Proverbs about, you know, getting wise counsel and speaking to kings and not being lazy and, and attending to the responsibilities in your life. In the middle of all of these Proverbs about people and the way we live our lives, there is this proverb about how we treat our animals. And that just surprised me. So I I zeroed in on this, and and I asked God, why is it that this is speaking so powerfully to me? And And I think the answer for me is because it's so refreshing to see in Scripture a revelation that you can know somebody's heart by the way they treat their pets that you can know somebody's heart by the way they treat their livestock. The righteous know the needs of their animals, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. A kind-hearted person, a good-hearted person, a person who has a heart after God is somebody who cares so deeply about life that they're even willing to treat animals with kindness. They're willing to attend to the needs of those animals around them that could easily be considered less than humans. And then that first half of this poem, the kindness of the righteous towards their animals, is contrasted with the second line of the poem that says, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. The opposite of somebody who is so full of kindness that they're good even to their animals, is the opposite of those who are wicked, those who are so unkind that when they are being merciful to you, even their mercy is experienced as cruelty. And I think that jumped out to me for a couple reasons. The first is that I know people who are so cruel that when they think they're being nice to you, they're still being unkind. That when they think that they are somehow giving you a gift, they're still doing it with a kind of cruelty. I I know people like that, and I'll bet you do too. But then the, the contrast of that with people whose hearts are so full of love, so full of goodness, that they take good care of the animals in their care. It says a lot to me about how we can recognize who in our lives are good and right and true, who in our lives are trustworthy, who in our lives are people that we can trust our lives with because they take seriously the responsibility to take care of 
the animals in their household. It also, and this is sort of the third reason that I think this sits with me, it, it also is an indictment if I am feeling cruel towards those creatures in my life that I think are worth less. How do I treat everybody and everything around me? When do I find myself so frustrated or angry or, or short on temper that I'm willing to be cruel to even the animals that are in my care? And if that's true of me, if that's in my heart, if that tendency to be cruel and short and wicked to those creatures around me that need my care, what does that say about the condition of my heart at any given time? How does my heart need to be renewed and refreshed and healed from its own pain, its own trauma that it's spilling out in ways that are hurtful and harmful to others? That's just one example of how, as I read through these passages, I, I find an incredible source of wisdom, even in these two-line poems that convey common sense, conventional wisdom. This is something I want to encourage you to consider doing in your life. How can you benefit from Wisdom 101? How can you benefit from gaining a better sense of the conventional wisdom that will help you live your life closer to God each and every day? Uh, and maybe that practice will work for you too. Open up the book of Proverbs sometime. Carve out some time for yourself, 20 or 30 minutes to be alone and quiet. Open up to a chapter of Proverbs. Read through it slowly and meditatively until one proverb jumps out at you. And then highlight it and stop there. And ask God to speak to you. Why does it surprise you? Why is it inspiring you? Why is it feeding you? And reflect on that and live in that space prayerfully until God brings you a sense of clarity. That is, I think, an incredibly powerful way for us to use these books to gain everyday wisdom in our lives. I want to encourage you to give that a try sometime this week. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much again for today and for this opportunity for us to come to these passages that speak wisdom into our lives, that invite us to attend to the words and the ideas and uh, the truths that are found in these pages. I ask that you would really open our minds to see these, these verses and these chapters and these books in a fresh way that we wouldn't see them as constraining or oppressive laws or commandments, but rather we would recognize them as sources of truth and goodness that can really transform our hearts. We ask that you'd open these words up to us as we turn to them and seek your wisdom for our own flourishing and the flourishing of those around us. Pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.